Welcome to the Utah Epochopalians, a podcast of the Diocese of Utah. Now we're designed to reflect on the Episcopal Church in our unique land of Utah. And today, we're going to take a look at the Episcopal Church in the eyes of those who are new to the church. The surprises, the questions, the, hey, what is going on here? Many like what they see, but what is it that they are seeing when they come in here? We are a church that frankly could do a better job at helping explain. So that's what we're going to do today to explain, to ask questions, to have some fun, and to learn about the Episcopal Church. We have Cody Hatch, who is new to the church from another religion in Utah, and one who was new to the church many years ago, the Bishop of the Diocese of Utah for the Episcopal Church, the Right Reverend Scott B. Hayashi, and I'm Craig Worth of the Diocese. So let's start with you, Cody Hatch. You walked into the door. What was your first question when you walked into that church? Generally a red door and there were all these people and what did you think? I sure hope I don't screw up. <laughs> I think that was the, the thing I was most concerned about. Not that anybody cared. Yeah. And, and when you say screw up with, with the liturgy, you yeah. saw people standing, sitting, kneeling, yes. uh, walking up to the front of the church, walking back from the church, going to a communion rail. Uh, and and that is something that I think a lot of people feel when they walk in is, uh, how do I join this? And when you have been there and somebody is saying, I think I might want to go there, but I'm afraid to use your words of screwing up, um, what do you tell them now? Don't worry about it. Nobody's paying attention. Uh, nobody cares. And so what were some of the other things when you first walked in and you saw these folks sitting there? And, and just that you've talked to others, and I know there's some Facebook pages and all that you've participated for new members. And now you're, you're an official, you're on the vestry, which is kind of the board of directors of the cathedral or one of our biggest churches. So there will be new people coming in. What, what advice do you have for them? Um, not that don't be afraid, don't do that, but um, uh, the liturgy, what, what are some strange things or unusual things that you saw uh, those folks doing that right away you said, I got to find out what this is about? I think the thing that stood out to me first was the genuflecting and bowing. Some people did, some people didn't. They did it at different times. Should I bow? Should I genuflect? Uh, I think that was the first thing that kind of stood out to me that I um, wasn't prepared for. I didn't... I didn't uh, expect to be there or to be a problem, um, as well as whether I should go up and receive communion or not. Uh, I think that was a big question of mine. Um, I knew candles were going to be involved. I didn't know if incense was going to be involved. Um, so, yeah. Bishop, um, what do you say to folks that um, the first time you see that they're sitting in the back and usually they're in the back and you see somebody who's new and you kind of tell that they're looking around. Uh, what do you want to tell them? What do you say to that new visitor who, you know, wants to be a part, doesn't want people staring at him or her? What do you, what do you say? Well, I think normally what I say is, hello, my name is Scott. <laughs> um, that, that's the, <clears throat> that's the usual thing I would say because it's about establishing a connection and so instead of uh, 
asking if they have any questions, I would simply lead by introducing myself, welcoming them, um, and letting them know that anytime they want to be there, they're welcome, and just happy that they are there, uh, and that their presence makes our worship better. That's an important point. Did you feel that your presence made the worship better? Because I, I think that's truly what any established Episcopalian is going to say. I want a visitor because it does make us better. It makes us better as an inclusive church to have new ones to include. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a very good point to make there. Okay, you talked about some of the um, liturgy. You talked about what did you, when you looked up at that altar area, and you saw folks up there all dressed up uh, in vestments. You saw altar cloths that were in different colors as the seasons went on. And you saw women and men both participating. Did that, uh, how did you feel about that when you walked in and you saw some of those things? Some of it I knew uh, because I had been to Catholic Mass before, so it was similar. Um, seeing women participate was a, a joy honestly. Um, I did wonder what in the world the eagle stand was for. Um, and I didn't quite understand why some of the, why as the colors changed, you know, uh, on some, on, on the vestments and et cetera, um, what those represented, why they changed, when they changed, uh, th that I had to learn as well. We could do a lot better job on that, on what is the eagle. You'll see it in a lot of Episcopal churches. Why colors change, why sometimes the clergy is wearing white, sometimes green, sometimes uh, purple. And, and literally those are colors that they wear. Yeah. So I'm gonna put the bishop on the spot, gotta explain that. Why, um, why do we have different colors in the church? And is it important as part of the ritual? Why do we have uh, some of these symbols um, Red doors often on a church, eagles on, on uh, lecterns, and uh, people walking around all vested up with stoles on them and things like that. Why do we do that? The symbols of the church are, <clears throat> you know, there and they tell a story you know, all their own. Now, of course, um, asking the question that you did, um, <clears throat> I think points out one of the one of the things uh, we could do better at, and that is explain the symbols, uh, because a symbol without um, that no one understands doesn't communicate, of course. And then people make up their own stories, but the story remains untold. So I mean, the liturgical colors, green for the long season, you know, uh, representing growth and 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 health and and. Um, the goodness of, of God and red for the spirit used during ordinations and high holy seasons and white for purity at Christmas and the joy of Easter and um, blue for Advent which is a slightly penitential season and purple for Advent or Lent which is a penitential season. So all of these uh, things tell us something about the time that we find ourselves in in the church here and communicate to the people that a change has happened. And there is that, I think that aspect about church life, uh, especially those that follow in a liturgical tradition, that things don't remain the same. Uh, that, that, that there is transition taking place. Uh, and, and yes, indeed, we cycle through it throughout the year and then we repeat it the next year. Uh, 
Um, but it's not simply an endless cycle in, in a circle, but all of it ultimately is a journey in which each of us is on this journey throughout this life. Um, and then ultimately into the larger life. And I think these, these changes and transitions um, in some way help, help us, subconsciously even, um, to go through the transitions in our own life, recognizing that we really are all on this journey of what we call life, uh, and that we make our way through, through this life, not simply to go into the grave, um, but to, to continually prepare, offer ourselves, uh, so when the time comes that we can enter into the larger life. Why did you stay with the church? So many people go church shopping, and they should. I mean, nobody should just walk in because there's a sign that says the Episcopal Church welcomes you. Uh, hopefully it does, uh, but there's still, you know, an understanding that you might be going to one religion, another religion, another faith tradition. Um, what made you come back that next week? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I knew academically, you know, the differences between various denominations and between various religions, such as Buddhism and Islam and whatnot. Um, and I academically knew where I think my I would fit in, what would work for me. I was wholly unprepared for how it would affect me when I came here. We we intended to, to church shop, um, and we didn't go anywhere past St. Really? Mark's. Yeah, we, we went in, and it started. The music, I knew Anglicans take the music seriously. It completely blew me away, um, the music there. And, um, and then just, it was a feeling of coming home. Uh, the community was great. Um, people weren't pushy. They didn't come, you know, invade us like, oh, new new person, come shove their way onto us. Um, they just kind of let us sit there and breathe it in, I guess. And they welcomed us and felt, let us feel welcome. Uh, they let us ask us, ask them any questions that we might have, but they weren't pushy about it. I think it was just all of that together contributed to opening a space where the spirit just touched my wife and I in a way that we were not prepared for. And so we said, um, well, let's go back and see if that continues. And we still are going. I think when people change religions or they're shopping, often they've um, perhaps even given up on faith. They're maybe going because they feel that they want to have a place for their kids or something, but they almost have developed a, perhaps even agnostic or even a, a um, doubting of, of faith. And um, so many people that uh, we've certainly observed have felt that way. Uh, so when they come to this church, they might be coming in, you know, not prepared, like you say. Did you feel any of that ever um, when you left a faith? And did you find that uh, you had those doubts and they continued when you came to the church and something happened that helped uh, develop those uh, feelings into a little more positive experience? Yeah. Um, and I have a family and we're all at various stages on that road, right? So for me, yeah, I went through a period of time where I didn't know what I believed and um, everything was 
on the table for reevaluation. And slowly over time, I took it and looked, took it different pieces. Some made it back into the, my box of faith and others did not. Um, and that's changed over time where I've thought, oh, I need to reevaluate that item. And I'm, maybe it comes back in the box. Um, and I felt the room to do that. Uh, and so where nobody's telling me, you know what, if you want to show up, you've got to believe these things. It's been an, an approach of letting me just breathe it in. Let me experience it. Again, make room that this, to let the spirit work at me, get at me, right? Let God get at me and do the work. And it's been that way for my family. Um, I have teens, you know, they're more skeptical as teens are. Um, and slowly over time, I've, I've noticed, you know, the spirit work at, work on them as well. And it all works differently and speaks to us in different ways. And it's been really interesting to watch that journey with my family as, as we've, you know, reevaluated what we believe in and what's credible, what's not, and what speaks to us. And we're still continuing to learn and walk that. And I appreciate that there's the space to do so. Bishop, do you see that journey as uh, um, that's a pretty common story? And maybe even among those that are cradle Episcopalians that uh, we sometimes need to realize that, that uh, people do go through different um, parts of their life where they maybe have a stronger faith or a, or a stronger question. Do you welcome those questions? Well, as I said earlier about the transitions that we go through the church year, uh, <clears throat> we go through these transitions not only through church year, but also in some ways they're a reflection of the transitions we go through in life itself. And there are, there are times in one's life when one can simply um, take at face value or simply swallow um, wholly uh, what we're told to believe. There, there's that sort of, sort of innocence about it. So we simply believe whatever it is we've been told to believe. I, I think in the normal development of a person's uh, spiritual life, intellectual life, um, in a, uh, that that we have these moments when um, we move out of that and we begin to ask questions. Rightfully so, because what is happening there is a person taking it on for himself or herself. Uh, and when that happens, then I think it's very important to have a church that welcomes those moments and sees in those moments a person searching and coming to uh, his or her own faith, uh, which will be unique to that person, uh, what I would call a very authentic faith, as opposed to a faith that's been given to a person and the person's never really bothered to question it, they just accepted it. And for someone like me and, and for many others, I think in the Episcopal Church, um, we're just not built that way for us. We're, in the Episcopal Church, I think one has to have a, uh, a respect and a tolerance for ambiguity, uh, where we accept certain answers on faith, and at the same time, we're always turning them over in our heads, uh, in our hearts. What does that really mean? How do I really understand that? And we might be making a large spiral and coming back to the, the same uh, question over and over again, but arriving at a different location. 
So those are just the sorts of things which I think we all go through. And, and the Episcopal Church, I believe, is one that um, sees that as a great strength. And when that happens and the person is asking those questions, those questions are welcome because we see that person striving to, to make his or her own faith truly his or her own. You're listening to the Utah Epochopalians, a podcast of the Diocese of Utah, designed to reflect on the Episcopal Church in this great, unique land we call Utah. And our guests are Cody Hatch, who is fairly new to the Episcopal Church, came from another religion here in Utah, and as I say, one who is new to the Episcopal Church, did not grow up in the church many years ago, the Bishop of the Diocese of Utah, the Right Reverend Scott B. Iyashi. I'm Craig Wirth of the Diocese. And you've um, hit upon some interesting points. And one thing that I know in reading some of the Facebook pages that are dedicated to new members uh, and, and some really thoughtful things, some folks come in and they go, look, we see these people that have been Episcopalians for a million years. Um, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but they see folks and and they want to get involved. Or in your case, you have become involved. You are on the uh, vestry of the Cathedral Church of Saint Mark, and the oldest church that we have there. And here you are sitting on the vestry. Um, there's a reluctance I see on some people to feel okay. I'm here. I have questions. I don't feel like I'm all here yet. I want to participate, should I? What made you say, yeah, I should? Mm. Um, I don't know, some of it may be my personality, I don't know. But um, I, I, as, I, as I kind of, you know, based it, I guess, in, in, in the environment, uh, it, I, have, I have, we all have skills and, th- and talents and things that, that we've been blessed with. And I saw so many people participating in, in various ways. And I, if I want to get to know people, I felt like I kind of needed to do so. And, and so I, ha- I, I started on the volunteer for the communications committee cause, because I know I, I work in the tech field. And so I, I know how to code. And um, so I started down that road and started continuing on. And, but also I think some of it was we were invited to participate. The, the folks there asked us if there was anything we were wanting to, to participate in and help. And, and they made it, like, they, they let us know we were going to, they were gonna allow us to bless them in doing that. Um, and it, of course, it's a two-way street on that, but uh, I think that helped and helped us kind of push us into that, out of the back and toward the front, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, I think they said, hey, we got a live one here. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Well, I've been doing this for over six decades, and I'm still in the back of the church, so I guess that I, I need to chat with you about that. You have the bishop here. What question do you want to ask him about the liturgy or about something uh-huh. that you feel? I mean, you're, you, there's the liturgy, and um, for those that don't know, the service is pretty much the same in Salt Lake City as it is in Columbus, Ohio, next Sunday as it is in Florida, as it is in some of our churches in Europe. It's going to be the same service, so that liturgy is uh, very much the same. Anything that you want to ask the bishop that you've been sitting there 
when you were in the back or as you moved up that you look around and you go, okay, what is this all about? Um, rude screens, right? So that that was, uh, there's the rude screen and what what is that about? I know that now, Father Tyler explained. <laughs> but, but I, you know, that, that was when I was like, what in the world? And uh, let's see, I don't know. Um, incense when do we use incense and when do we not and and why why would why do we do something that um, probably goes back 500 years um well the incense goes way 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 back i mean if you read in the um the big part of the bible which which we call either the old testament or the hebrew bible because the language it was written in of course is hebrew the um, incense is used and mentioned many times in the psalms for instance and the uh, the smoke rising uh, from the incense was a visual of the prayers ascending to God, and <clears throat> so they um, there's that symbolic sense as we see the smoke rise, it's our praise and prayers going to God, um, an offering made to God, and, and it rises. The um, but the use of incense is something that is not necessarily done in all churches. In fact, there are many churches that simply don't use it at all uh, because of the preference of the priest, the preference preference of the people. Uh, And the cathedral tends to use it on high holy days. Um, Sometimes, let me see, in years past they used it more often than they do now. Um, But it's one of those things which lends us a very, what I would call, sensual quality to the experience. And worship is really meant to involve the whole person. Um, so we, we sing. Um, it uses our voice. Uh, we listen to the music, as you pointed out, Cody, and so our sense of hearing. Um, the, um, the person giving the sermon or the person reading um, involves intellectually. Um, and then the receiving of communion involves the, the, um, the, the sense of taste. Um, and and then the, the touching of things, very tactile. So it really is meant to involve the whole person, the whole standing up, sitting down, kneeling. Um, too, it's the whole person being involved with um, the worship, the experience of it all. So those, those are the, the sorts of things which I think are so wonderful about it. That's meant to involve the whole person, not just part of the person. And to me, that, that's, very, that's very, very important. So that whole incense is just a part of the, the larger experience of involving all of the senses, but also symbolically, as I said, represented the prayers ascending. One thing I know, a lot of people that come in and sit in the back, and like you say, all of a sudden people are standing, they're kneeling, and then at some point they all start walking to the front of the church <laughs> and they receive communion. Um, it's a scary moment in reading on some of the... Um, Facebook post, etc. that should I go, should I stay, you know, right. what's this all about? Um, did you feel that at all? Oh, well, yeah, for sure. And Because uh, people describe that as one of the scariest uh, moments. Uh, and, and, and in many churches, communion comes to you or it's passed around, but here you're going up front. What do you have to say about that, Bishop? What can we, um, should they be scared? Should they come up? What should they do? I think it, it, it should be done reverently, um, certainly, that, that one is receiving the very presence of Christ. And so that is not something you would take lightly or 
frivolously, um, that it should be done respectfully. So there should be an element of, of dignity about it, um, that we receive Christ as Christ has received us. Um, and that's very important. You know, Michael Curry, the presiding bishop, tells a story of uh, his parents going to the church um, and that she, Michael Curry's mother, was the Episcopalian. And she was going out with this fellow who, you know, they would later get married. And he went to church with her and it came time for the communion. And um, Michael Curry is African-American. And, and so when this was a largely Anglo congregation and when it came time for communion, she went up and he went with her. And then to find out that the priest distributing communion wasn't going to put on special gloves when giving it to an African-American, that the same cup was going to be used um, for her, um, as all the other people, um, spoke, spoke tremendously to him, um, that this, this was something he hadn't expected. Um, but so what I'm repeating here or, or talking about here is that sense of, not just the reverence, but someone experiencing joy in seeing people brought together and all receiving in the same way. And I think we lose sight of that at times. We, we don't recognize that. You know, this really is one cup, isn't it? You know, this is really one bread. And it's not as if we have special bread for certain people, except for gluten-free, of course. This is gluten-free, you know. But the, 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 the reality of that, I think we can sometimes lose sight of, um, especially when you consider it wasn't always that way. The church has changed. I mean, we're talking about how symbolism is so old, the incense, the, um, the, the vestments, the colors. These go back centuries and centuries. Uh, the whole liturgy goes back. I mean, it's been updated in language, but you can find books of common prayer that pretty much the same thing for centuries and centuries. And yet the church has changed quite a bit. We, you mentioned women in the pulpit. Um, uh, it's been 40-some years that that's been uh, the commonplace. We see different um, expressions of outreach that probably were pretty unique and pretty new. So it is kind of a mixture of this old liturgy, but yet this new ideas that come into that. Um, was that part of anything that was attractive to you to see again uh, some of those changes? Some of those—they're uh, not really changes. They've been around so long that I think at some point they don't even be considered changes. But that kind of stuff—did did that alter at all your views? And have they strengthened your faith to see this type of um, of uh, practice? Uh, yeah, to both. Um, I. I, I mean, I, I kind of I had done some research, so I knew that some of that was at play. But um, it gets, I like that there's, we're on the road, as Father Tyler has talked about, we're on the road, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus were with Jesus, right? And we're walking with him. We're not, we haven't arrived yet. And there's going to be things that need to change. And we do it alongside 
you know, and discerning our relationship with Jesus and doing that. And I love that aspect of um, the, you know, the Anglican three-legged stool, right, of scripture, tradition, and reason without being a slave to any of them. And and so, I, yes, that allows me to be able to try and work and figure out how to be the best disciple in my context that I can be um, and, and try to adjust that and, and, and figure that out. And again, it gives me that room to do so um, within a deposit of faith that I've been given and can, you know, partake of. Our half hour has gone quickly, but I got to finish with you, Cody. What can we do better? What can we do better for the newcomers, for that person in the back of the church? So uh, knowing whether they can receive communion or not, I think is, uh, you know, that what do you do if you're if you're not Christian or if you are, when can you go up there? I think having that understanding um, as well as I think explaining some of the things that are involved in the liturgy, you know, the symbolism and, and things we've talked we've talked about that. Um, I, I think that helping us understand those things, but without being too pushy on it. <laughs> Good luck. That's imperative, right? <laughs> you don't yeah. want to walk in and, and you, a newcomer. And when right. I say, uh, and, and as you make, as you have described your movement from the back of the church to the front of the church to the vestry, fascinating. Well, we sure appreciate it, Cody. And, and we're just going to have to do this again, too, yeah, because there's so much um, as new members come in. And it probably is an area that uh, certainly in the presence of the bishop, we all know that uh, we got to do a better job in, in making people uh, become Episcopalians, if that's their goal, and, and not to push them into that. But um, it's a fascinating discussion and something that's imperative to the growth of the church. So you've been listening to the Utah Episcopalians, the podcast of the Diocese of Utah. Our guest, Cody Hatch, fairly new to the church, about a year and a little bit more. And of course, the Bishop of the Diocese of Utah, the Right Reverend Scott B. Hayashi. And I'm Craig Wirth, and thanks for listening.